You know, today is Palm Sunday, and it's the day we've chosen for our Commitment Sunday as well for this capital campaign. We've already had the children processing uh, with their, song, uh, their palms, and they had to leave and go processing the other services. I'll tell you what, our children are working overtime this morning. And we are so thankful for kids sing and the beautiful music that they've already shared. And you know, in essence, we adults, in bringing our commitment cards forward today and in that movement forward, we're also making a statement about our commitment to our Lord. Today I want to entitle this message, Running on Empty. And I'm going to explain what it means to be a church that runs on empty as we follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, we are a people who really do like happy endings, don't we? And we know Holy Week is holy because there is a happy ending. But we know that there's a lot that we celebrate in the meantime that was not so happy and felt like defeat, felt like tragedy in the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, underscoring that we are people who like um, happy endings, I read a story this week about a Hollywood producer named Sam Goldwyn. And he was listening to a director named Billy Wilder. And Billy Wilder, he had um, a story that he just knew would make a great in a movie. And so he was sharing this story in detail to um, the producer. And the producer had one question for him. He said, does it end happy? And Billy Wilder said, well, um, it winds up with a guy in an insane asylum thinking he's a horse. <laughs> now with that, he got thrown out of the office. But Wilder wasn't discouraged. He peeked his head back in and he said, okay, how about if at the end, the guy who thinks he's a horse goes ahead and wins the Kentucky Derby? <laughs> That's pushing it. We gather here today knowing that we have not just a happy ending to this Holy Week, but we have a joyous ending to this Holy Week that begins with a mix of emotion concerning this Palm Sunday many, many years ago. We understand that that was a celebration that was going on in the holy city as they cut down palm branches and spread them over the road just as their ancestors had done not 75 years ago but 150 years prior. Before they were celebrating Simon Maccabeus and his final overthrow of Antiochus and Antiochus had been a particularly harsh ruler. He had not only captured the city of Jerusalem, but overthrown the temple. He had desecrated the, uh, the altar by sacrificing pigs on it. And after a 20-year somewhat of a guerrilla war, the Jews finally won. And it was time for the shouts of Hosanna in praise of Simon Maccabeus. But a short time after that, he was assassinated and Jerusalem would soon return to be an occupied land. So the problem the people had on Palm Sunday was that as they readied themselves for another Simon Maccabeus, here Jesus came riding on the back of a donkey. As they were waving palm branches and, and, and putting cloaks in the road, just as their ancestors had done 150 years prior, here comes Jesus, the personification of peace and emptying himself in the humble way that Jesus always moved. Jesus was one, you could say, always ran on empty, 
always emptying himself for others, for you, for me, and of course the cross of Good Friday for the whole world. Today we're going to be reading not the classical Palm Sunday passage, but a passage from the lectionary reading today that I think is a beautiful theological statement about what this Palm Sunday is about. Let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians, the second chapter. We're going to begin reading this morning with the first verse. I'm going to have you uh, sit in your pew this morning for the reading of God's Word, and I want you to be praying in your hearts for the understanding of, of the depth of what this statement is about. Beginning with the first verse of Philippians 2. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing with selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not on your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be ex explained, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Now listen. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, Paul opens this treasure of Philippians. You know, Philippians is the only one of his letters that he didn't have some uh, word of reprimand for the hearers. He loved the Philippian church. He spoke a lot about joy. Now, he had instruction to them, but not a reprimand. And the instruction that he had to them and has to us today, he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. In other words, he's saying, if you have ever found Christ's support in an hour of need, have you ever found Christ's support in an hour of need? If he has ever refreshed your spirit and given you the ability to hold on, then complete my joy by being of the same mind. Paul then reminds them of the mind of Jesus that he's calling them to. The mind that would have one empty himself, that would have him, himself humbled, that would, even to the point of death on a cross, be there for you and for me and for the entire world. And in this way, Paul paints a portrait of Christ 
coming and standing by our side to comfort and console, to encourage and love, and to have that mind as we address others with the same comfort and consolation and also our compassion and love. Now, how many of you in the last few days have had your mind on basketball? You know, it seems like it was three weeks ago, right? When we were all sitting around the television or reading the paper the next day, finding out that, um, that, that we've had a big basketball mania in this country. They call it March Madness, even though it takes place in April. But the Baylor Bear, Bears are here. They're really happy, right? Because the girls won the national championship, the women. And also, uh, the Texas Tech Red Raiders, y'all hold it down, but I know y'all are happy too because your Red Raiders went just nearly to the very end and we're so proud of all of them. Um, but you know, in thinking about these upcoming games, I thought about a, a story that was told by one of you to me. And it reminded me of this conversation, that basketball uh, mania last week. Billy Bob Harris, who's here today, was a basketball player in Groover, Texas. Um, Billy Bob's here. I'm not going to point him out. But Billy Bob was a basketball player in Groover, Texas. Now, Groover's not a very big place up in the panhandle, but it's a place. <laughs> and Max Williams, who's also in worship today, he was a basketball star at the big metropolis of Avoca. Now, let me tell you something. Billy Bob was great, I know, in Groover, Texas. But let me brag on Max for just a moment. I hope I don't embarrass him. But Max was the first player in Texas history to make the All-State team three times, three years in a row. He led Avoca to a 44-1 record and made the All-Star or All-Tournament team in every tournament he ever played in. His sharpshooting continued at SMU, where he made the All-Southwest Conference team in 1960. And he later was the driving force and the general manager of the Dallas uh, Chaparrales. And they became the Spurs, of course. But let me tell you what Billy Bob Harris told me about Max Williams. Billy Bob said that he was a freshman and, and, and Groover and, and, um, uh, and Avoca had made the state playoffs and and Billy Bob said that after the first half the senior who was guarding Max just couldn't keep him from scoring so Billy Bob the freshman was sent in to guard Max Williams and Billy Bob said to me one of the great accomplishments of his life one of the proudest moments in his life was playing the second half of that state tournament and holding Max Williams to only 34 points Now, Max and Billy Bob, would y'all please stand and take a bow before I go on? Okay, Max, Billy Bob, Billy Bob. You, you know, I thought that was so, so, uh, such a funny story that Billy Bob told me. It, it caused me to remember another funny story. When Michael Jordan was playing, you know, back when, and one game he scored 69 points, 69 points. Max may have scored more in that game against uh, Groover. But one of his teammates was interviewed once on television talking about, you know, his time in the NBA. And this teammate was asked about his most memorable experience. 
And he said, well, I'll never forget the time that Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points. <laughs> you got it. This guy made one point. Michael Jordan made 69. And, and you know, that's the way it is when we lean on Christ. Christ does so much more for us than we could ever do for him. And Christ does that in such a way that we know we're so dependent upon him. That it's the mind of Christ that inspires us to our loving actions, to our uh, consolation that we offer others, to the compassion that we share. It's the example of the Christ that is that perfect example that we lean on in every way as we move forward as Christians. We lean on Christ in that way. And we know that he does so much more for us than we could ever do for him regarding our relationship. And yet because Christ was willing to empty himself, to run on empty, we have found encouragement in Christ, especially in the cross. I remember one of our church members once upon a time sending me an email that was sharing about his cousin's death. He wrote, on Saturday, March the 29th, a cousin of mine died of cancer at the age of 59. He said, my cousin was, was a highly vocal and long-standing atheist to the point that he derided his older brother who was a professing born-again Christian. It's difficult to know if the cancer changed his life, but on Christmas Eve, my cousin the Christmas Eve before his death was there in church singing the carols along with the entire family. And he said then on March 29th, he was drinking a cup of coffee with his wife and something extraordinary happened. The cup of coffee was just a simple cup of coffee from McDonald's. But he said suddenly, he said to his wife, do you see that? His wife looked at the cup and all she could see was the word McDonald's. And, and then this member said, he said, do you see what's on that cup? It says, Jesus loves me. Don't you see it? It's clear as day. She pondered this for a moment and she said, honey, it is probably just for your eyes to see today. It's a special message just for you. And then this member shared that in a few hours, his cousin had died. And I thought to myself, isn't that just like God? I mean, we can't read the end of this passage knowing that Jesus Christ came into the world and he died, emptied himself, if you will, on a cross so that the whole world would know him on heaven and on earth and below the earth would profess the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't that just like God? To, to want to not leave anyone behind, even one who was a professed atheist, God wanted that one to know. Jesus loves you. You know, Paul's not counseling the church at Philippi or us today to simply be happy and nice to one another. Paul is calling the Philippian church and you and me today to be people of deep-seated joy because we have a mind of Christ 
And when our heart is given to Christ, then we live out of that mind of Christ in the way that we serve others with love, the way that we give to others in love, the way that we empty ourselves in the greatest generosity that we could ever know. The mind of Christ in us, joined with love of Christ in our hearts, transforms life and changes us. You know, Lover's Lane, as we worship on this Palm Sunday, this Commitment Sunday, I think about the next 75 years of Palm Sundays. And I want to say to you today on this Palm Sunday, I have never been a part of a church that has emptied itself more than this church does. As Donna shared just in a Saturday in the life of Lover's Lane that happened yesterday, we can think of so many people who've been changed at this place. I'm so thankful my children were able to grow up in this youth group with Mike and Nicholas and others who came here. I'm so thankful my grand, grandbaby, if I told you all about my grandbaby, she <laughs> was baptized here. She'll be hunting Easter eggs here today. I want to tell you about another member of this church. You know, the very first capital campaign I had here at Lover's Lane was 20 years ago. We had big ambitions of developing the west side of the campus. A $13 million capital campaign. Does that ring a bell? And you know, in a capital campaign that size, you have to have some really big gifts. And every gift's important. You need a whole lot of gifts in the middle. You need a whole lot of gifts of every size. But I had to ask one of our members for a million dollars, and I'd never done that before. And I made an appointment with Mr. Bob Folsom, who was once the mayor of Dallas. Bob was really in favor of this capital campaign. He'd made a speech at the, at the, the charge conference to go forward with the capital campaign. So there I found myself in his office one day, and I was scared. My knees were shaking. He couldn't see them. He was behind the desk at the time. And, and, and I got my courage up, and I said, uh, he knew why I was there. I said, Bob, I need to ask you for a big gift. He said, oh, really? Well, how big? I said, I really need to ask you for a million dollars. And he said, whoa, 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 that's a lot of money. And then he put his head in his hands like this, and there I was. I was just wide-eyed and stunned. What did, I, what did I do? And then he didn't even look up. He said, can I make that gift over five years? I said, yes, sir, you surely can. <laughs> and my anniversary at this church is April Fool's Day, right? And for the next five years, on April the 1st, the church got a generous gift of $200,000. But Bob said after we had that little exchange and I settled down, he said, you know, my daddy was the lay leader of the Methodist church in this conference. My daddy, Jack. He said he was so famous in the conference that everybody knew Jack, nobody knew me. Bob was the mayor of Dallas. He said everybody thought that, that, that mom and dad came here to Lover's Lane first and we followed them. But that's not the way it happened. We were here first. Mom and dad followed us. But everybody thought dad was Mr. Lover's Lane. And he said, I remember going one time and hearing dad talk at a church meeting. He said, 
You know, you know, my dad was a salesman. He didn't have a lot of money. But when he talked about giving, he talked about giving. He said, I want y'all to think about giving, not giving till it hurts, but giving till it feels good. He said, I heard my daddy say that so many times. And then, you know, it's just, a, it's just another expression. Some of us may be able to give a million dollars. Some of us may be able to give 75 but it's the way we give that makes the impression on others. Bob was still living with the testimony of his daddy who gave not till it hurt, but till it felt good. It's kind of like saying he emptied himself. He emptied himself. And may Lover's Lane know that what we're about in this capital campaign on this Palm Sunday as we make our commitments is not raising, about raising a lot of money. It's about raising ministry and outreach that will continue to impact alcoholics and other people dealing with addictions. Uh, people who don't have a home, little children who only know the home of the shelter. Uh, others who, who come here day in and day out with struggles and, 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 and feel beaten down when, when all of a sudden they walk into somebody who's empty in their cells and has the mind of Christ. That's who you are, Lover's Lane. It's who we've been in years gone by. And who we'll be, I pray, will be for the next 75. Amen.